Mr. Rockford, Arthur's Hi-Fi. Your stereo's ready, but since your warranty expired in the two months it was in our shop, you'll have to pay the $60 on the repair. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we have a programming note, and then we'll get into our episode, and then we will have some <laughs> content notes before getting into the episode. So this is the preamble to the preambles. Sounds good. Yes. So if you, like me, don't really pay attention to how often things come out and they just show up uh, in your podcast player, um, then this probably doesn't really matter. But uh, for those who are used to our one or our usually two, sometimes one a month episode schedule, Mm -hmm. this episode may be coming out more than a month after our last one. Um, the situation is that I am moving. I'm doing a cross-country move mm-hmm. from the, the the wonderful city of Chicago to the equally wonderful, I am sure, uh, Seattle area. And so that has pretty, pretty much disrupted our usual irregular recording schedule. Um, so <laughs> this episode may be the only episode for like a two-month span. Yeah. Something like that. It, it kind of depends on how things go post-move also. So, which is just to say, we have not faded. We are still doing the show. We just are having some uh, slightly longer than usual breaks between our episodes while uh, my family and I pack up all of our stuff and move 2,000 miles. I don't know why this is just occurring to me now, uh, but that move is a particularly dangerous move to make uh, in the board game Minion Hunter. You're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason why you should know anything about Minion Hunter. It came out, a Game Design Workshop put it out in the uh, 90s, I think. There's a tie-in with okay. their role-playing game, uh, Dark Conspiracy, of course. Uh, uh, so uh, and it, it is not a like little yellow guy's minion tie-in. No, no, it is not. <laughs> uh, and so you'll have to like say specifically not that when you go and search for it. Mm. But it had a map of the U.S. and it was a post like kind of post apocalyptic map of the U.S. And you got, go from these mega cities all around, one of which being Chewaukee, mm-hmm. which is Milwaukee and Chicago and probably Gary, Indiana, all swallowed up in this giant, mm. you know, mess. And then there is the I can't remember the name. Maybe Seattle was just called Seattle. Uh, I kind of feel like it was Seattle and Portland Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe Seattle and Vancouver somehow mashed together. But anyways, the move from Chewaukee to that, when you moved on the board, you went through. uh, I'm looking at the board right now. Well, you would go to Twin Cities and then through (laughs) one, two. You would go through two Demon Grounds and three Outlands to get there. So it's not it's not a safe, not a safe uh, (laughs) Not, not a safe move. Oh, three demon grounds. Sorry, because we have to go through a demon ground. No, you can if you, you can avoid the demon ground. You can go around one of the demon. Okay. Grounds. Anyways, okay. the point is, is that do not go on foot. Okay. Uh, if you're playing minion hunter. Noted. I think we will be able to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. But yeah. So uh, as as always, we try to keep things more updated on the Patreon. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. if you are a one of our many valued. Uh, I was going to say normal, right, regular listeners. 
<laughs> you just get the show. You listen to the show. We thank you. And also, uh, we'll be we'll be back if there's a gap after this that is also kind of extended. Um, we'll, we'll get back on track. And so that is also to say that uh, I've not had a chance to do a answering machine roundup. So if you have sent us something that you were hoping that we would respond to or address, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> just just not this time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's that's in keeping with the theme of of uh, or at least uh, things that were happening in uh, this particular episode. Of the Rockford File. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, speaking of this episode, this was an epi pick. Uh, epi, mm-hmm. tell us which episode we're going to be doing and why you selected it. We are going to be doing. Uh, it is called the Deuce. I am at this moment don't know why it's called the Deuce. Oh, we'll figure that out well, as we do it. Um, uh, oh no, do you know why? I do. Oh, you want okay. to know now? Well, <laughs> we'll we'll keep it in suspense. Nathan okay. will let me know why it's called the Deuce when when that comes up. Uh, the Deuce. It is season five, episode fifteen. So this is kind of a this is a later one. Um, mm-hmm. And I chose it because probably between now and uh, when our next episode comes out, I'm going to have jury duty, and this is about Jim being on jury duty to some extent. I. I think my experience will be very similar to Jim's. So I wanted to get that under my belt before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you're you're going to take inspiration from his uh, brave example. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as much a reason as we'll have from here on out. <laughs> as we've mentioned several times before, mm-hmm. we are reaching a point where we're, we're out of reasons for watching them. Other than that, we enjoy them. Yeah. And what other reason do we need? Yeah, exactly. This episode is directed by... Bernard McEvity. McEvity? 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 Is he from Cats? <laughs> that I do not know. I do feel like I recognize the name. I feel like I've done this before, pronouncing it different with different cadences. But this is the only Rockford Files episode that he directed. So I don't know where else I would have encountered it. However, if you look at his credits, it is... I, I was starting to note titles, and then I was like, you know what? These are all of Epi's favorite shows. <laughs> Oh, all right. I'm checking it out right now. Ah, yes. The Incredible Hulk. Knight Rider. Yeah. Voyagers. Uh, Airwolf. Oh, Voy. Oh, did he do some? Yeah. All right. Little Trapper John MD. You know me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forgotten City of the Planet of the Apes. There was a TV movie, Planet of the Apes, from the 80s. Oh, man. I mean, and two episodes of the 70s Planet of the Apes show. Yeah. And a 1971 movie called the brotherhood of satan so oh this is really hitting all of your targets why yeah why am i not i should just spend time on imdb and just grabbing all the things i should be watching <laughs> yeah no i'm in i i thought the most interesting thing was 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 how epi oriented his uh directorography yeah. is so there you go it, it's Funny, as I'm going through this list, I'm like, oh, and that, oh, and that. And then I'm like, oh, and the Rockford Files. But that's why we're here. This is, <laughs> well, he did Airwolf and Blue Thunder. I just want to say, uh, someone could do both uh, highly, I don't even remember if either one of them had a computer. But they're both, <laughs> they're both helicopter shows. Mm-hmm. In case you don't know, they're both about <laughs> sci-fi helicopters. Nice. I don't know the difference between them. This episode is written by a returning writer, Gordon Dawson or Gordon T. Mm -hmm. Dawson. So I saw that we have talked about him before. So I just looked up my old notes. He wrote nine episodes of The Rockford Files. Um, This is his final one 
timeline was, uh, but we still have two okay. of his to do. Okay. But they include the first and second Gandhi episode, uh, the Hammer of Seablock and oh, Second wow. Chance, um, Pastoria Prime Pick, uh, The Competitive Edge, and The Trees, The Bees, and TT Flowers. So, hmm. high hit rate, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the, the notes that I have on him come from our TT Flowers episode, which was, if you had not, if you've joined us since then, was our episode 45 back in February of 2019. The main thing that I found at that time was that he did a really interesting podcast interview for a series called Legends of Film that the Nashville Public Library did. Um, so oh. there's an interview with him from 2016 that I'll I'll try to remember to link to in the show notes um and in that he mentions that he broke through as a writer with the rockford files um and that's what oh. got his writing career off the ground and that they were great people to work with uh but he was kind of a western guy like he did lots of western stuff and he was a collaborator with sam peckinpah on a lot of um peckinpah's projects uh, <laughs> And then I think his main stretch towards the end was uh, producing as well as writing Walker, Texas Ranger. So, oh, OK, all right. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Yeah. A, a wide range, a wide range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he actually started in the wardrobe department and then kind of broke into writing through some Rockford experience. So a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, I think. But yeah, like, as I said, I think a lot of his I think we like a lot of his episodes um yeah which when you add this one into it kind of spices up the mix a little bit because uh i think my high level takeaway from this episode is that for one that has such a kind of uninteresting core mystery story it has a lot Mm -hmm. of like rockford stuff like it's high rockfordishness low narrative (laughs) Mm -hmm. intensity and that's kind of an interesting mix, especially for someone who's not kind of like a David Chase or, a, you know, like someone who's not necessarily a core uh, production staff person. I would agree with both that assessment, both of those assessments, I should say. Yeah. And I guess before we get into our preview montage, there are a couple content notes, content warnings for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um There is a either certainly or almost certainly an on-screen murder which is mm-hmm. pretty rare for the show it's not gory or anything but it was just like huh <laughs> that's we're, we're yeah. seeing that huh the uh main drama revolves around a drunk driver so there's a lot mm-hmm. of discussion and heavy heavy judgment of driving while intoxicated uh which i think is not unwarranted but it is you know if that's a thing you should know mm-hmm. that it'll be a topic um and then also kind of alcoholism in general treated and kind of a uh, uh it's a plot hook it's a plot yeah there's a there's a plot element of uh dealing with alcoholism in a way that i actually found pretty interesting it was unexpected i guess is what i should say yeah uh to me but it is again part of the story um oh yeah and there's some like mild torture played for laughs yeah there you go that's the other one uh. um again not gory or anything but just like Huh. So this yeah. is what we're going to see on screen, huh? Yep. Uh, all right. Did I miss anything? <laughs> nope. I think you got it. I feel like, again, that's a lot of preamble for an episode that maybe doesn't necessarily bear, like, really intense narrative scrutiny. <laughs> no, no. It's just a fun one. It's just kind of a, a, a little bit of a romp. Yeah. 
with all those caveats. With all those caveats, yes, yeah. exactly. Well, speaking of romps, uh, what romped out to you from our preview montage? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got some things here. Um, that straight off with uh, somebody who, who will turn out to be uh, the defense attorney in this is like, you're not dropping the case, are you? It's great. I like that the preview montage is letting me know that we are definitely getting the note that or that we're definitely going to hit that note where Rockford wants out of the job that he's doing. Um, although I will say I doesn't he doesn't at this point I don't know if he's actually hired. Uh, he was hired, so that, that definitely happens. Uh, we do see him at home where bullets shots are fired, so we get we're going to have some exciting, uh, thrilling, uh, daring escapes at the trailer. Uh, there's a that great line that uh, when we get to it, I think I wrote the whole thing down about a has bit has been gumshoe trying to be a two bit Sherlock Holmes. It's good. It's good. Uh, and then finally, like we we get a threat to get his PI ticket pulled, and then quite literally a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. We know that we're gonna have a car chase or something to do with cars that is going to involve somebody hanging over the edge of a cliff. It's good. Classic. I I love a good uh, ticket pulled threat. There's always you, yeah. you know things are are gonna get serious when someone's gonna get his ticket yeah. pulled. You could you could shoot at Rockford. That's fine. But if you're gonna take away his PI license, right. then then you got to try. He actually has a line to that effect at some point in this <laughs> yeah. episode, which I thought was pretty good. Did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? Our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 today keep us in the podcast business and in return receive exclusive episode previews, as well as plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Dale Norwood wrote a book, Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America. is about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Published by the University of Chicago Press. Find it wherever good books are sold. Chuck from whatchareading.com. Paul Townend, who recommends Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, check out RollForYour.Party for all of your online dice rolling needs. Jay Adon, showcasing his amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com. Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Matthew Lee, and Greggy. And finally, a very special thanks to our detective-level patrons for their generous support. Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, Jordan Bockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. We are starting off our episode at a a bar called The Ramp, and we come right into one of our low-key recent favorites <laughs> and actually mm-hmm. uh, final, final consideration of Mills Watson. Oh, is this, are we rapping on him? Let me, I'll double check, but I'm almost certain. I thought I checked that in, uh, did we do Exit Prentice Car? Mm-hmm. We did. We actually kind of, you know, we 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 came to him relatively recently in our show's history. Um, so his mm-hmm. episodes are. Uh, oh no, that was the Dexter Crisis. That's what I'm thinking of. Did we do Exit Prentice Car? Oh my goodness, am I wrong? I think you might be. 
Dear listeners. I am wrong. I was transposing the episode Exit Prentice Car with our episode The Dexter Crisis. That's what I was, which he is not in, but that's what I thought he was in. I apologize. Well, I think I, I think we have our next episode I, lined up. I think up. so. Yeah. <laughs> like we do a wrap on uh, Mills Watson. Mm-hmm. Now, I, like, we've discussed him from time to time. He's definitely uh, that guy. He was in Roundabout, which is the episode we did after mm-hmm. Exit Prentice Car. And in my mind, Roundabout and Exit Prentice Car are related because we talked about them kind of as a two thematic because they're both like going to Vegas episodes. Wait, you mean uh, the other one? Sorry. No, I'm confused. Okay, so he is not in the episode The Dexter Crisis, which is what I thought. Right. Yeah, okay, sorry. You you accidentally called the uh, the Dexter Crisis exit Prentice car just moments ago. That's what happened. That's oh, what. okay, I see. I apologize. All right, so let me We're, we're still confused. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is not a wrap on him because I transposed two episodes. I thought he was in one, but he's not. And we have not done the other one. But he is in our episode 96, Roundabout, uh, where he's kind of the main... He's, he's Jim's client. Um mm-hmm. He's in our episode 99, The Gang at Don's Drive-In, where he is one of the main antagonists. And now he is in this one where he is also kind of Jim's client, but in a very different way, where he is a sad sack. Yeah. <laughs> I, technically, the client. There's definitely a thing at the end. Yeah, where they, technically. They, yeah. Uh, but he's he's also using Gunsmoke, Sheriff Lobo, mm. uh He's got a mustache you'll recognize. Yeah. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he's great. Um, yeah. Again, I think we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of range. He's a real, yeah, real, real character-y character actor, and we're seeing quite the range of these yeah. various episodes. Anyway, he's playing George, um, who is uh, at his favorite bar playing a sports trivia betting game that apparently <laughs> he is the one who knows the answers to the questions he's asking. Connors, he didn't even for the Padres. Con- Connors was an angel. Don't you remember? The old Padres' first baseman was Luke Easter. <laughs> I should never bet with you, George. <laughs> All right, so he's he's basically asking, I'm going to say his friend, mm-hmm. his buddy at the bar, uh, questions about, like, baseball lineups from the past mm-hmm. and betting a dollar that the guy can't say who was... I will say this betting game is very much like a few years ago, a game my nephew was into, but it was not baseball lineup. It was Marvel superheroes. Mm. He was like, name a Marvel superhero that did this, this and this (laughs) or name a Marvel. I bet you can't name a Marvel superhero who just it's not that he's making up the answers. He's just asking questions that he knows. I don't know. This is how you write trivia questions, I guess. Right. And right. he's writing trivia questions for his friend and charging him a buck a piece, basically, is what's happening. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know how you play this without Wikipedia, is what I'm saying. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think this is any kind of like con. Like, I think he legitimately is like, yeah. I know all of this, you know, baseball trivia of like who played shortstop in the 19. 19- 40 season of whatever right yeah and if the other guy got it you, you get the sense he'd be like well i can't believe you also knew that right but he very easily could yeah. be just changing the goalposts all the time so that the other person's always wrong <laughs> so he's always winning the dollar anyway it's neither here nor there we're just establishing that he is sloppy drunk is really what yes. we're getting at here 
this is definitely one of those things that I love about the Rocker Files is that like none of this baseball stuff is going to matter. It's just establishing who this character is. And we see him as a human being in this moment. Mm. Uh, but also, like he's got that line, one for the road, which you know is just bad news. Mm-hmm. Someone you know, asks him a question or gives him some guff about it. And he says, it's only six blocks. I could drive that blind. <laughs> and so we get our intro credits as we see him stumble out to the parking lot, out to his station wagging, and then we go to the goons. Yes. And there are two goony goons, though not, again, I still cannot explain to you how, what about it makes a goon mob-coded or not mob-coded. Right. But these goons but do these not aren't. seem like mob, and they also do not seem like cops, right? <clears throat> so yeah. they are an alternate goon configuration. And they're radioing to another Confederate, uh, saying that he's looking real good. So we see the sequence of kind of seeing what they're up to and then seeing George driving and he's clearly drunk and he's squinting and, uh, he's kind of hitting the brakes too hard and, you know, at stop signs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. The, uh, uh, Goon Prime, the oldest goon, I would say, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> is in a waiting car with a woman in the driver's seat who is clearly either passed out or possibly already dead. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell now. There's There might be some dialogue indicating exactly the sequence later, but it doesn't really matter because what happens is uh, we have some drama, some tension building as we see George pull out his cigarette lighter out of the dashboard, which is, you know, uh, all the 70s, um, and try to light his cigarette while driving but he's also trying to keep his eyes on the road so he's not quite getting it so my attention was like when does he drop that cigarette lighter (laughs) yeah but no another car that's part of this scheme uh flashes its headlights on and, and shoots out at him so he swerves to avoid that car and that's when this woman's body comes flying from off screen and hits his hood and then just like disappears under the car he spins out, comes to a stop, sees the body on the road behind him. And then we have this amazing, horrible shot of him just starting to shake with this look yeah. of just complete horror on his face. It's difficult. It's affecting. It's like I it's very visceral. And it's also like a really yeah. good physical acting moment. <laughs> yeah, this this whole sequence from from the bar to here, uh, there's a, a tension in it. I'm trying to think of a way to describe this. So we see him getting drunk. We It's made obvious in the dialogue that we're supposed to feel tense about him drunk driving home, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, they say he's blind drunk, you know, that kind of thing. Everyone there knows it's a bad idea. Right. He gets in the car and he starts driving. Then we see the goons and we're like, as Rockford fans, we're like, oh, something's going on here. Like, maybe he's the target of something or, you know, what? uh, And I had the same thought process you did. I was like, they're not mob. Could be cops. I don't know. Like, they might they might be feds or something. Uh, And then there was bird dog to home plate, which was the (laughs) the, their code names. They radioed into another car that radioed into another car. So that whole like, oh, this is an organized thing. This is an escalation, right? Like, we've gone from. This guy's going to get himself in trouble drunk to somebody's trying to do something to him. And then we see the unconscious woman in the in the car. And I'm like, what is going to happen? I mean, like, it's obvious what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, you're just my blood pressure is shooting up. 
And then, like you said, when the whole thing goes down and then his reaction afterwards, it is, I, I, I don't know. I really, it is well done is what I'm saying. <laughs> like as far, uh, I could be jaded about this sort of thing. And it, I definitely mm-hmm. was not while I was watching it. Yeah. So part of the end of the scene is we freeze frame on him as he's having this reaction and we get the voiceover of ladies and gentlemen of the jury and yeah. we go right into his, clearly his, uh, his trial. And this is and this is what brings Jim in because Jim is in the jury for this trial. Yes, uh, we're established that uh, George um, he's had four previous arrests and two previous convictions for drunk driving. He's driving mm-hmm. on a suspended license and he has no insurance. Like it's you know, yeah. not painting a good portrait of this guy. Uh, and so they're actually charging him with murder in the second degree, which is you know pretty much the the most serious thing they can do in this circumstance. Yeah. We then go to the jury deliberations where everyone is clearly ready to be done. But Jim is the one saying that, look, there's something that's not right about this. And he specifically says, this is my business. Like, I'm a PI. This is my business. And I know when something doesn't quite add up, uh, which is great. The things that he brings up specifically are that her back was to the car. And that is strange considering that. Like, so the story as constructed is that he's drunk driving, she's getting out of her car, and he just runs into her, right? Mm-hmm. That is the, the situation that is being presented that no one has any reason to doubt, right? Including George himself, really. But she had her back to the car. That's strange. It comes clear later. I forget if they mention it now, but, like, her tire is flat. So it's like, if she's going to the yeah. trunk to get her spare tire or jack or whatever, she doesn't have her key with her. So why wouldn't she have brought her key? And then a woman's like, well, she could have just been going to ask a neighbor to call the auto club. Oh, she didn't have her purse with her. She didn't have her auto club card with her. Wouldn't she have had that if she was going to go, mm-hmm. you know? So there's just these little details that, as Jim says, give him a reasonable doubt. Um, there, there's no argument about, like, this guy was drunk. He was driving and he hit this woman, you know, technically hit this, yeah. woman's, hit this woman or hit this woman's body. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. Why and how, you know, give Jim the reasonable doubt that it's worth charging him with murder. And he, in fact, says in a later scene, like, it should have just been a manslaughter charge. <laughs> it's like he yeah. would have been on board with that, I guess. So this is I, I feel like this is a uh, a weak point in the scaffolding of the story here because. Um, Jim, OK, so Jim is right. There is something more to this, mm-hmm. but it's I don't. I mean, he does say, I have a nose for this. And that's why what's sitting with him wrong is that he just thinks that there's something suspicious happening. But like if they'd given us something. So it's clearly 12 angry men, right? Mm. Like this is the, the everyone in this room hates Jim for holding out. Right. We see that through the like what who's presumably the foreman. And then this woman who I, I love the way she just kind of goes at him. Yeah. Um, and they're all exhausted and they just they don't want to deal with it anymore. And and to them, it is all such an open and shut situation. Yeah. That it's extra aggravating that this guy just won't be like, OK, fine, he's guilty. Let's go home. Yeah. And like, I can understand. So so Jim is and as we mentioned, Jim is like he thinks it's a lesser charge, but still manslaughter. Like this guy should still do jail time, according to Jim. So it's a nuance that he's arguing about. Mm-hmm. Um but we know, like, we've talked about this, but, like, you know, Jim is an ex-con. That, like, so maybe there's a thing going on here where he doesn't feel like he, he can let someone go up for something that, that – but there's nothing here that presents uh, – like, he's presenting a case for he was framed up without 
really presenting a case for him being framed up. So, like, I wish there was just like one other clue or tidbit they had written in that uh, set that up. And I mean, even later, there's uh, there's a stuff about physical evidence that like any of those details probably could have been brought in here as well. But yeah, I'm thinking even something like there were multiple sets of skid marks on the road. Yeah. You know, there was another, so there was another car. What about that other car? You know, like that kind of stuff where, yeah. Is there more suspicion? But cause we're, we're in season five. We've seen Jim deal with probably a dozen frame ups now, right, right? right? Like, I don't know how many, I, I don't have the math on that, but like, <laughs> so we're willing to believe him, but we need him to have like something a little more substantial than she was facing the wrong direction yeah. and her keys were still in the car, right? Like, I, f- I feel like those just don't quite get there. Not to turn this all into complaining about that, but. <laughs> well, my, my read is kind of like. Is a you know a two step for Rockford? Not the Rockford doesn't get hired two step, but a different one. Mm-hmm. You know he feels a thing. Uh, you know he feels a disturbance yes. in the situation. Right? It's not <laughs> right. And so once he is is put into the position of being the one who has to change his mind, that's when he really mm-hmm. gets stubborn. Right? Yeah. You kind of get the feeling that if the if the argument wasn't like, hey, stop holding this up, let's just agree, and if it was more like even. Even along lines of like, this guy had all these previous instances. He's clearly a danger. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reason he should be on the road. It's, there's a, you know, it's a loophole that he's even on, like he's breaking the law just being on the road. The, you know, yeah. like, like if there was some kind of like, let me talk to you about this from a different angle, maybe you'd kind of get to Jim. But similar, yeah. I'm thinking of like in um, Lions, Tigers, Monkeys, and Dogs, where he, he has to be convinced to have a good time at the restaurant, but then he gets hit with the door again. And he's like, no, I'm not going to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of that yeah, aspect of yeah. his character where he's like, I'm cause he even has that kind of like frustrated, like I have a reasonable doubt oh. and I'm not changing my mind. Oh. Oh. Tough. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I like that's definitely something I'm willing to read into it. Uh, I, I I don't disagree. I mean, I think you're right that it would be more like uh, there'd be more narrative tissue if there was like something more specific that he was getting that was catching mm-hmm. his eye. But yeah, we're neither here nor there. Though. Yeah, we're we're really <laughs> harping on a detail that the whole point of this is just to get us into Jim, get us exactly. into having Jim participate in the story. Yes. <laughs> So we go back to the courtroom where, and I think this is, this feels very TV to me, but it's pretty fun where like the, you know, the jury's hung. So they're going to have a new trial and the judge starts calling out Jim as this like yes. irresponsible. <laughs> he calls him, uh, uh, it's the irresponsible and unyielding decision of one juror mocking justice and decency that is making this go forward to another <laughs> trial. And he tries to defend himself from the box and the, you know, judge threatens him with contempt of court, which I think he has <laughs> enough experience with. But then we see our two goons. There's two main goons. Um, and so we see our two goons, uh, one of which I think was the radio goon. Another one <clears throat> was the one who pushed the woman out of the car. They're in the audience watching the proceedings and quietly talk to each other and say that he's not going to like this and they're going to have to keep an mm-hmm. eye on things. One thing I will say about, like, I loved the the 
I had the, everything down about that judge tearing Rockford down, and then Rockford like like I'm not having it standing up like Hey, judge, you said uh-huh. yeah, your instructions were beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna defend myself, damn it. But the other bit that I think is is important for my own personal read of the story here is that we do get a lingering look at uh, George's defense attorney. Mm-hmm. And in my notes, it's like, oh, this is why. <laughs> she's, she's, she's a little Beth-esque, I would say. Yes. And I am, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm wrong in that read because mm-hmm. there's stuff that plays out in the text, but I'm not, not going to say I'm right in that read either. I think it's up to uh, the, the individual. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of a wild episode for like Jim's libido. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In a way that I feel like we haven't really seen in a while, which is, we'll get into it. Um, So we have the rest of our credits uh, over a montage of Jim going home and we hear Rocky singing at the top of his lungs as he's fixing Jim's doors. I literally, my notes are like, is Rocky drunk? No, it's just to let us know that Rocky's in his Mm -hmm. house, in the house there. Living his Um, best life. I've never heard that version of Clementine or whatever, like, but yeah, yeah, living his best life. I used to hug her. Now she's dead. I draw the line. Listen, Boy Scouts, heed the warning to this tragic tale of mine. Artificial respiration could have saved my Clementine. This is a classic. Rocky's just trying to do something nice for Jim. Jim is in a state because of the time he's been having (laughs) recently. And also, he did not ask Rocky to do this. And also... Rocky's help is not helping. It's actually worse, making things worse than yeah. they otherwise would be. <laughs> but Rocky gets offended if his help is not accepted. So we have that dynamic right. going on. We get a lot of just little details establishing Jim's state, which is because of this jury thing, he lost a case. Well, he couldn't take any cases. He has no cash flow. He had one case on hold. But then Rocky said that he got a call from that guy and he had to drop Jim because Jim wasn't able to you know, do what he needed. In addition to that, uh, his answering machine is broken because the batteries leaked. <laughs> and Rocky's like, well, <laughs> you know, you should always take the batteries out of things before you go on a trip or something like that. And it's like a jury. Yes. Uh, so if you're going to fix something, couldn't you fix that? And then Rocky, of course, has a full throated defense of the jury system as a civic duty. And Jim saying that he takes it seriously. It's his 11 peers that are the problem. And then, Rocky, what about the last three elections that you didn't vote in? (laughs) (laughs) So, Rocky, like, his defense of why he didn't vote, like, that one time I had the grip. Yeah. I was like, what is that? It's it's an old-fashioned word for the flu, apparently. (laughs) G-R-I-P-P-E. I've never heard it before. Hmm. Uh, So, he had the flu. But I was like, what is the grip? I thought it was like a, I mean, just because it starts with a G, I guess. I thought it was like, like, gout. But yeah, the flu yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was raining on the day of the presidential election and he has those bald tires. So, yes, um, he didn't <laughs> vote then. And then uh, you wouldn't ask me to miss LJ's birthday. Oh, <laughs> uh, Rocky. And then there's another section, you know, then there's a second half to the scene, which we'll get to to a second. But I wanted to say that this is in this scene. I've started having this feeling of like this episode or at least this script cares so much more about Jim and his day-to-day life than it does about the mystery. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we get a lot of banter in here. Yeah. It just feels like an extended 
sequence, one of which we will get many, where Jim is just talking to someone that he knows for a while. The second part of the scene begins when uh, George and his wife... Franny. Fran, or Franny. Yeah. They come over to uh, express their gratitude to Jim. If it weren't for him, you know, George would be going to jail. Something seems very inappropriate about going to a juror <laughs> after. <laughs> well, that's well, like the judge started it, right? Like if the judge hadn't called him out. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't have the name. Then none of these people would necessarily know which juror it was or whatever, right? But yeah, um, he's saying, you're a PI. You must have seen something that would clear him. Uh, and George asks, like, yeah, why wouldn't you convict? And so Jim reiterates he couldn't be the fact that George could not be shaken from his testimony that he saw her back before hitting her uh, that, you know, stood out to him. Um, and George explains again, like what he saw, which was, you know, she just seemed to appear out of nowhere, just floated over his car. Right. Something like that. Mm hmm. Here's where he gives the details that maybe we're looking for in the last scene where he's like, you have this regular schedule at the bar, including your, you know, driving home at the same time every night, like clockwork. Maybe someone took advantage of it. And so maybe there's someone else out there who wanted to kill this woman uh, whose name is Betsy Pruitt. Yeah, his instincts kick in with that kind of, uh, what's it called? Um, circumstantial evidence, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's not what he brought up to the other jurors, at least that we saw. I feel like we had a good harmonica sting. Oh, uh, yeah. As we watch Jim go to Betsy Pruitt's apartment to begin his investigation. So I guess what I kind of skipped over is that they kind of ask him to look into it. Yeah, because he's he's he knows he's the expert. Mm-hmm. There, he does his moral thing. Like, he's like, you should be in jail for manslaughter, which is like, I got to give him kudos because it's a hard thing to say straight mm-hmm. to someone's face. Right. Uh, especially if they're like coming to you hat in hand saying, thank you for keeping me out of jail. Um, but it really seems like it's it's Fran that's really pushing this effort. Yeah. Fran is a, a small character, but um, I really I like her and she turns out to be one of the shrewder characters mm-hmm. it, like every time she's on screen she's she knows what's up and is making the right choices uh which is great yeah so he kind of like gets guilted into saying like i'll i'll take a look yeah yeah he goes to this apartment um <laughs> the door is opened as he's deciding how to get in i believe um and there is a woman <laughs> with big hair already in there and so Jim starts off with his cover, which is uh, management told him he could take a look. He's in the market for an apartment. And uh, I guess this, you know, once this date is settled, this this might be open for rental or whatever. Um, and he has a whole thing about how expensive it's getting to to buy in L.A. And so renting is going to makes more sense, blah, blah, blah. And she's just kind of like looking at him and kind of letting him talk. And, I, and he ends with... Uh, you know, do you know how expensive an apartment is on the west side? And she goes, do you know how full of it you are? <laughs> and he's taken slightly aback, but she's like, you're Rockford. <laughs> she is, or at least she says she is. Uh, yes. <laughs> Bonnie Pruitt, sister to the deceased. Uh, he was pointed out to her in the courtroom, so that's how she knows who he is. Um, and mm-hmm. she tries to kick him out, and he flirts with her. <laughs> to keep this from happening yeah so 
there's a bunch of things that are happening over the course of the next few scenes with her where I'm like, none of this makes sense. Uh, it doesn't ring true as the sister of the deceased. Right, right. Dealing with Rockford the way she's dealing with Rockford. As it turns out. Mm, that's correct. That's how it should be. <laughs> that is correct. None of it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but this moment is a little cringy because he's, I mean, especially from from uh, a distance of half a century later where like his line is like, you should smile more while she's in her dead murdered sister's apartment. And uh, yeah, like I, I bet you'd have a beautiful smile. It's a little like, Ooh, yeah, it's wild. My, I kind of, in my notes, I kind of have some like head candy stuff where I'm like, maybe his read is like, this is what's going to keep me in the room. Like if I like flirt with her, because he does get it kind of back on track once she she doesn't force him to leave and like asks her about her sister or whatever and her story is that she doesn't really know that much they weren't actually that close she didn't want their parents to go through going through her stuff so she came out she lives in Tulsa and she came out to just like kind of do the due diligence um but i have my flight back soon so i have to give you know get to the airport which i think feels weird right yeah like it's not like the place is yeah. boxed up like it's just the apartment as you know a fully furnished apartment yeah um but jim offers to give her a ride to the airport cabs are expensive if you can even get one and i guess during this conversation he saw a receipt that was in the mail that she'd opened or something like that and it's for her car it's so it's for betsy's car that the lawyer handling her estate has sold already and mm-hmm. he wants to take a look at the car bonnie this woman agrees to go with him he's like sure you can give me a ride to the airport and then he's like i want to check out the car first he's like oh well i guess i should see if you got a good deal on it or or i should see if we yeah. got a good deal on it and okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wasn't really reading that much into this i did feel like it was a weird approach to be like i'm going to flirt with you and now you're going to accept my offer of a ride but also kind of like all right it's keeping the story going like whatever before i knew what who she was and what she was doing Mm -hmm. because once you know who she was and what she's doing her reactions to everything make sense yeah but before i knew that i was like i guess she's really charmed by rockford that's not entirely unbelievable and there is a little text coming in in a moment that is a great detail for a con uh and also plays into that narrative. But, um, yeah, it was definitely like this, like, okay, so are they now on a date? Is that what happened? Right, right. Is yeah. this what, like, is that why she's hanging out with him? Um, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird, the vibe is weird. <laughs> the vibe is weird. Well, and she's also, she seems really stilted. I was like, oh, like, I was just like, oh, okay, I don't really, like, I don't, I don't think this actress is doing a particularly great job. But then as the, episode goes on i think that's actually intentional because as we learn she's making up her own stuff on the fly because she seems much more natural later in the episode um anyway we go to mac kabelkov's body shop which i wrote down because we got a big establishing shot on the sign and for some (laughs) reason i thought that might be important like oh there's this like eastern european aspect no it has nothing to do with (laughs) it i think it's just a joke i think it's like mac like the most generic you know Kabelkov. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, I don't know, McGinnis's body shop or something, which would be, I don't know. Right. You know what I mean. I know what you mean. We have our goons who are staking it out and watching, or, or follow them or whatever, and are watching Jim and Bonnie 
looking over the car in this body shop. Right. This, again, is a great scene to just watch Jim doing stuff. Um, kind of out of proportion to what actually is happening in the story. Yeah. So he's he, he's doing like a like a reconstruction of the crime by like reading the physical evidence of the car. There's a pebble in the valve stem of the car, so that kind of like could have gotten in there, but that indicates that it was open when the car had gotten hit, and then someone closed, put the stem back on or something. Mm-hmm. The door is stuck open now, um, so it won't close, which makes sense. But there's this like weird burn, like a rope on the armrest. I think the pebble in the stem was a way to let the air out of the tire. Okay. I think if you if you jam a pebble in and then screw the cap on, I see. It will push the stem in mm-hmm. and let. Air. That's that was my read of it. I know someone used to do this to me <laughs> every day. Uh, I had a neighbor at one point who thought I was parking in his parking spot, but it was my parking spot. He was in front of my apartment. Mm. Um, and he would let the air out of your tires? Yeah, he would let the air out of my tires. Yeah. like, And he wouldn't like he wasn't slashing my tires or anything like that. He was just literally letting the air out of my tires. And he, he I wasn't the only one he was doing it to. Uh, and at some point, because it happened in the winter, I saw that another car a big truck had gotten uh, the air let out of his tires and walked over to look at that and walked around to see what happened and then went back. And so that person woke up, came out, saw that the air was let out of their tires, saw footprints from my car to their Mm, truck mm -hmm. and assumed I had let the air out of their tires. And so there was like a whole thing until we all figured out that it was this guy uh, doing it to everyone. Yeah. Just an old guy who just didn't, didn't like anyone. And uh, you know, I, I'm cool with that. <laughs> oh, so that the, my guess is that the, that's what the the mm. deal was there. But the thing about this scene, there's a weird thing where he's like, you get in the car and you be Betsy. Right, right. Why would you do that to someone's sister? Mm-hmm. You know, like you pretend to be your sister that was just killed. That's weird and insensitive. Then she has that line, I've been trying not to be Betsy my whole life, mm-hmm. which is a magnificent line if you're playing a character, <laughs> right? Which is what she's doing. Like, that's oh, that's good. Yeah, a little cover there. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. And it makes me go, oh, this is why she's not so disturbed by the whole murder thing. They're not mm-hmm. close or whatever. Or the whole her sister dying. It's, it's good. I really, really like it. Um I like to also think that there's like a kernel of truth in there. Like mm. this woman is involved in, eventually we'll find out she's involved in this whole thing. And she's got this thing where she's like, I'm not a Betsy. Right. This oh, yeah, wouldn't yeah. happen to me. That's a good point. Mm. So all of that is great. Yeah. Uh, but I, the thing that I really love about it is how much Rockford is into doing mm. this part mm-hmm. of the investigation and how much, his job is not this. You see, timing is crucial. I'd be working on a uh, on a radio cue, or I'd have that mirror in exactly that position. Hey, I'm getting into this thing. Yeah, well, is detective work always like this? No, as a matter of fact, it usually is not anywhere near like this. It's usually I'm just sitting outside of somebody's house, but every once in a while you get one of these physical layout things, you know, you kind of recharge your battery. But anyway, anyway, here comes George, right? And just at the right time, 
One of my cohorts pulled his car out from the curb, making George swerve. And that is my cue to let go of the end of the rope. The door will fly open with the weight of your body against it as I shove you out. Oh! oh I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, a powerful man, especially if he used both feet instead of his hand, could push you three feet high and four feet out. George couldn't have missed. Yeah, oh, it's so good. So Jim reconstructing the scene is extremely good and something we yeah. almost never get to see. And so it's yeah. nice that we get that, again, textually, like he never gets to do this kind of thing. And it is so much fun for him. And it's, you know, like there's an entire genre of television show now that just does this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just there's something very real about that. Like, hey, I've got a job. Most of the time, my job's a job, but I took this job because I love it. And now I get to do that one thing or like not necessarily just that one thing, but I get to do the thing that makes me love that job. And that's yeah, it's very good. She's kind of like a couple times when like I do have to make my flight, but she's not really pushing it that hard. Um, Yeah. But then we go to the airport where Jim's dropping her off uh, and then Jim like gets flirty again. And he asks her to postpone yeah. her trip. You could be very useful, you know, to the case. And she gets out and kind of smiles at him and says, I'll sure call you if I think of anything. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, asked and answered. Like, he tries. She's not mm-hmm. interested. That's fine. So we see him leave. And then we go back to the airport entrance. And she walks back out with her bag. And it's like, aha, there is something yeah. going on. And yes. the two goons pull up and she gets into their car. He walked in on me. I had to run a game on him. All right, let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths. And Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the Internet. Because as it turns out, we do do other things than talk about the Rockford Files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. (laughs) You can also find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff, from games to zines to podcasts, is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. And on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. (laughs) (laughs) Now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a Day. Okay, this is great. Immediately flips everything that's happened that we've just been discussing. Like now all of her behavior makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, and I... I think by the end, it turns out not to be true. But my notes are, wait, was he running one on her then? Like, was was right. he just a step ahead of her? And that's why he was behaving weirdly. But no, he was just flirting. Yeah. And if anything, it's a little weird because it's like we are usually in the position of like a suit, like watching or enjoying that Jim is a step ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah. And in this case, he's just not. Just <laughs> not at all. Um, yeah. So she says that he doesn't know who or why, but he sure knows how. I guess like he didn't see anything at the apartment because she'd already found uh, Betsy's diary, which records the whole thing. But she has that with her. So we still don't know what the whole thing is, obviously. At this point in my notes, I'm using Bonnie in quotation marks, like, because that was yeah. her name. We never get another name. She's, <laughs> like, no one calls her by a different name. There's even a moment where someone's like, I've never heard of a Bonnie who clearly knows Bonnie. And I thought, oh, maybe this was a fake name. But no, I don't think it is. Oh, I just assumed that it was a fake name that we just don't care what her real name is. <laughs> but it could just because, like, Bonnie and Betsy seems like, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh. At some point, a one of her cohorts calls her Bonnie in a in a position oh, okay. where there's no reason to to okay. keep up the facade. So I assume, but yeah. Well, Jim is going to talk to Betsy's employers, and so mm-hmm. we go to Horvath and Horvath, a law firm, <laughs> two brothers. And his game is that he's from an insurance company, and Betsy had a uh, insurance policy that was taken out recently, and so they're doing a, a due diligence investigation before paying it out. So there's two, you know, the two brothers, Horvath and Horvath. Mm-hmm. This becomes more important later, but it's what, uh, okay. There's the one he's first talking to, who is older, I think, and smokes a pipe. And then... yeah. And there's one that Betsy worked for, which is the other one who I think is younger and is like kind of more stout. I'd like to describe them. Yeah, in my notes, I'm, they're described as the suspicious one and the not suspicious one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Arthur is the suspicious one. Let me check here. That sounds right. Oh, wow. I did not recognize him. Oh, no. Okay, hold on. Martin, I think, is the suspicious one. Yeah. And Arthur is the other one. Martin is Frank from Return of the Living Dead, which is <laughs> just just putting that out there. Uh, I think that's the case. Uh, it's so hard to tell. Can't tell these brothers apart. Oh, and the other one was in the Reanimator. So yeah, no, this is good, good, good horror film pedigree here. So either way, the suspicious one is the one who's talking to Jim first, and he's like, "Oh, you're going to want to talk right. to my brother, the non-suspicious one, who's the one who actually employed." Betsy. And I think the suspicious one is also the older brother. I think so. Yeah. Um, so there's this is so, you know, Jim talks to her her employer who can't believe that the guy who killed her wasn't convicted. I still cannot accept the fact that that maniac escaped conviction all because of some has been gumshoe on the jury trying to act like Sherlock Holmes and toot his own tin horn. Yeah, well, he uh, does seem like a flake. <laughs> This is when we see that there's a microphone uh, hidden behind a book on the bookcase. Yes. And then we see the our suspicious brother, the pipe smoker, listening intently in his office. Bonnie and the goons are also there. At this point, there's no mystery for the audience. They're just right. like, like from the microphone, you know that, like, oh, the suspicious guy. And then, no, that we're all edited together. Like you were saying before, um... That we don't have a motivation yet, but we can see the entire conspiracy at this point. Yeah, we don't know why she was killed, but clearly these people are the ones who did it. Yeah. He has a good line where, uh, the suspicious one has a good line where he says, we better pull this guy's drapes. Yes. (laughs) That one almost makes sense. Just like you open the drapes, you know, like you, you, you expose the sunlight on the vampire or whatever. 
the uh, uh, other Horvath's phone rings. He listens. Then his eyes get real big and he goes, Rockford. And Jim <laughs> tries to explain and he kicks him out of his office. So Jim is just getting identified left and right, which is kind of interesting as yeah. well. <laughs> um, in the parking garage, he is grabbed by the two goons. And this is a real good kind of like speed run of Rockford defensive mechanisms. Yes. Hey, I don't know what you're doing, but you got the wrong guy. And they, they keep hustling him away. And he's like, you know, I'm I'm important in this town. I'm connected all the way to the police chief <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> It's very angel-like in his just, yeah. And then he's like, okay, okay. I bet you guys, this has to do with Bonnie Pruitt, right? And then mm-hmm. the guy, there's a guy with like a sawed-off shotgun, I guess. He's he's the one who's like, I don't don't know any Bonnies. Uh, and then Jim's kind of talking to himself for us, I think, where it's like, ah. Any woman who wouldn't stick around to help clear her own sister's death, divorce or no divorce, I really have to learn to listen to those little voices I hear. That's between you and them. Personally, I didn't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, either she was in this car, you both wear the same perfume, Mary. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's like Jim was so, I don't know, blinded by his attraction to her that he didn't think too much yeah. about her weird behavior, I guess, is kind of the read we're supposed to get. Yeah, we're getting we're definitely getting that he did have suspicions, but he was ignoring them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's to some extent that is a something of a theme in this episode because that's the like the whole he stands against the entire jury on a vibe <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. uh you know that's what we're getting here um i love like you were just saying like him just r- running the gamut of things to try and talk his way out of it and I love how that leads into the next mm-hmm. i think it's the next scene yeah 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 so they're in the car he's being abducted right and so Jim, mm-hmm. this is important. Jim's in the passenger seat. The older goon, the the, the murder goon, the guy who pushed um, yeah. Betsy out of the car, is driving, and then the other one is behind him with the with this shotgun. So he's still kind of keeping a patter. Uh, Jim is, and says that he's going to level with them. This guy Bassett turns out he's loaded. He's worth a million and a half, kind of on the DL. Uh, and he's building this story of, like, that's why I took this case. You know, it could be worth a lot of money. And uh, and, and I'd be willing to share, you know, what I know about him right. with someone else, etc. So they, the driver keeps glancing at him, like, kind of getting drawn into the story a little bit. And then Jim Selling, you know, yells, look out. And the guy shoots his eyes forward and slams on the brakes. And there is a car coming out into their lane so you know there is a Mm -hmm. bit of an actual traffic issue but he slams on the brakes and jim reaches under his seat and hits the little lever for your like back forward control so when the brakes are hit his chair shoots backwards into the guy with the gun squishing him (laughs) and then jim is able to open the door and run out of the car since they've come to a stop and it is a magnificent jim get out of trouble gambit oh it's so good Part of it, while it's happening, while he's spinning his yarn, I'm like, after all of the lies he's been dropping, there's no way they're falling for this. But that's not the point. Right, it's, right. This is this is not an elaborate con level. This is blather. This is distraction. Yeah, this is just fast talk. Yeah. Yeah, this is so they're not paying attention to what he's setting up to do here. And, mm-hmm. oh, it's good. Good misdirection. Well done, Jim. We go to Jim talking to George's lawyer, His the the public defender yeah her name is karen and we will get some more 
stuff with her, but I uh, I recognized her name from the credits, and I just checked. And this is, in fact, our rap on Sharon Spellman. Sharon playing Karen. Mm-hmm. Sharon Spellman. Yes. All right. Profit and loss. She was in Profit and Loss, but I remember talking about her from the reincarnation of Angie because yeah. she has a wonderful scene fast talking with Jim, basically. I don't remember mm-hmm. the details, but I remember talking about how good she was in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> and giving yeah. her shout outs. Um, so, uh, unexpected rap on Sharon Spellman, uh, a great great minor but significant character in all of these episodes in profit and loss reincarnation of angie and the deuce unexpected rap i like that (laughs) uh but yeah in this case um she kind of explains a little bit about how uh this is a serious matter at the da's office they kind of like picked george to be i forget the term she uses but he's like the poster child for like we're really getting them this month you know like we're gonna throw the book at him and then the prosecutor, whose name is Norman, storms in. <laughs> How dare you hang my jury and then turn around and work the case? <laughs> and he's the one who threatens Jim with the ticket pulling if he doesn't, you know, drop it. Uh, Karen asks, like, how did you know he was here? He's like, oh, what, the Horvaths tipped me off or something like that. Because they're lawyers, Horvath. They're, yeah. they're a law firm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jim kind of doesn't have anything to go on he just he was trying to he wanted her to see if they could reopen an investigation into the murder because he has this you know mounting evidence that she was either already dead or whatever and one problem is timing they've already rescheduled his next trial for next week or whatever karen chases him out into the parking lot where he's he's trying to leave tells him not to give up on the case She's a public defender. She sees a lot of people left behind by the system. So it was tough defending someone who seemed like such an obvious creep. She's like, I thought he was guilty. I was just doing my job. And she uses the great phrase. "I." He got due process and that's all. But if Jim thinks he's innocent, then she kind of wants to believe in that. And so she wants to help yeah. Jim. He tries to scare her off a little bit. You could lose your job. If I can lose my job for trying to prove my client's innocence, then it isn't worth much. You could lose your life. With you around? (laughs) On one level, he's, like, trying to get her to, like, look, you don't want to be involved in this. But also, they're flirting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think this is in here where he makes a mention about his own, uh, like, either either I lose my life or I lose my license. I, I think we mentioned this before, but just the fact that, like, the threat... He's threatened with a gun, he's kidnapped and whatever, but it's the license thing that feels like a a, a bridge too far, right? right? right like, right. oh, okay, hold on, no. <laughs> um, he says he really doesn't have anything to go on, but she asks him to stick with it. And we have a freeze frame on his long-suffering face, where it's like, we know he's going to stick with it. Yes. <laughs> we then go to his trailer, where our goons and Bonnie roll up. It's the right place, 29 Cove Road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of them, the the younger one, the one who had the gun earlier, uh, has a tool belt like he's a maintenance guy or something. And he strolls up to the trailer while Bonnie and the other one get in this bright yellow sports car where he asks her, you know, how's it handle? And she says, no guts, lousy front end mechanic really worked it over. Good. Yeah. (laughs) I rewound that because I was like, 
I don't know. I was like, did I misunderstand what they were saying? Because I assumed it's like, oh, we tuned this up, but then I realized, no, we right, we no. tuned this down. Like this is meant to crash <laughs> later. There's a thing in this episode that I I don't think they lean into, but there's this fun. Bonnie, in some ways, is the uh, the foil to Rockford, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's attractive. Like we get him even admitting that on on uh, on the microphone at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, she runs a game on him. Yeah, you know, right after he tries to run a game on her, uh, and then she's the car person. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like as it as it comes out, like so. In some ways, she's like their Rockford, which is kind of fun. I mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just really like the the and it, there's they don't lean into that too heavily, but it just kind of keeps playing out like that. So the game here now is that uh, they're at George's house and Bonnie is claiming to work for Rockford. She's one of his operatives and she's picking up George Mm -hmm. to take him back to the bar to verify Jim's time distance theory while Jim is handling some other things. Uh, Fran, his wife, is is dubious about this. I think she's like, I didn't think Rockford had a secretary. She's like, oh, I'm not a secretary. I'm an operative. (laughs) <laughs> and also tells George that he shouldn't be going to the bar. You know the conditions of your bail, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, I've been on the wagon a whole nine days now. So she clearly is suspicious, but also cannot stop the situation, I guess. Inside the trailer, we see the goon see Jim arrive, and he takes up a position behind Jim's uh, counter <laughs> with his gun with a giant silencer on it. And so Jim is coming up to the trailer and we're watching from the inside and I'm like, aha, the door is going to be important. And so sure enough, we see Jim, you know, he he goes yeah. to check something like he sees something and he looks at it and the guy's inside like, come on, come on. And then Jim starts opening the door and then it catches halfway because it's been improperly <laughs> hung. Yeah. And that hesitation is enough to keep him out of the line of fire as the first couple shots hit the door frame. And then, you know, Jim runs away, runs around the back of the trailer to the, like, little sheds that are back there. This guy runs out after him. And I love, like, kudos to whoever constructed the sticking door because, like, he it also yeah. sticks when he tries to leave. Yes. You know, <laughs> it, it is a physical property of that of that scenery. It's not, uh, it's very, it's very real, high realism. Mm-hmm. He tries to creep around and surprise Jim, but Jim has the advantage, surprises him, and drops a trash can over his head. There's there's a, a nice another one of those nice little touches where it looks like Jim has gone and knocked over a line of trash cans leading around the back so that the guy is basically following a bread trum, uh, a breadcrumb trail mm-hmm. uh, that that Jim set up. And then he went and hid somewhere else. And I, I thought that was a great detail, too. It's just like, uh, again, Jim, when, when things get tight, that's when Jim, like, gets galaxy brain. Right, right. right like, yeah. He just starts like, boom, I got so many ideas on how to deal with this. <laughs> Karen, this is when Karen arrives, just like driving to see Jim, sees the scene, mm-hmm. asks Jim what happened. And he says, if my dad wasn't such a lousy handyman, I'd have an air-conditioned head. Mm-hmm. At the bar, uh, Bonnie's keeping George company while he's drinking coffee. And she has this whole tale about they've broken the case and Jim and the DA are meeting. You know, they're going to take down this guy and they're going to need you to testify. So you should just stay here until they get here. She goes to make a phone call uh, to her confederates. He won't drink the coffee. 
he wants another bourbon. So I guess the idea is that they like drugged his coffee or something. Like that line is weird in context of the rest of the scene where it's like, I, I assume yeah. they're like, oh, he's a lush. He's just going to break down and drink. My suspicion is that they need him to drive sober enough to drive. Yeah, up to that point, whatever yeah, it is. up to that point. So they don't want him drinking. What she's trying to do is she's trying to keep him from drinking too much before anything happens. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a delicate zone in which they need to get him uh, a little, get some alcohol in his system, but not drunk. Right. And uh, I, that's my take on that. I'm not entirely sure, though. It's weird, though, because she gets a bourbon, mm-hmm. goes, but it's like for her. Yeah, I think that's when she she realizes that she, like, they're tack. about to set their motion into plan. Yeah, yeah. Their motion into plan. Their plan into motion. That's what it. She so she starts like teasing him with this bourbon. Yeah, quote unquote, by accident, like kind of holding it right under his nose and being like, "Oh, something." The DA is uh, opening the investigation. This is something to celebrate. And he's like, "Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't think." And he's he's like, "No, no, it's okay." So I guess also we're expecting him to just be like, "Great, let's celebrate." But he's actually legitimately yeah. like, "I am not going to have a drink," which is. A little yep. subplot through the rest of the episode. Um, in trailer, we get our uh, uh, light torture for yucks, where Jim is drumming yeah. on the trash can with the guy inside it. Uh, we don't need to go into detail. It's pretty, like, it is not played dramatically. It is played lightly, but also it's, yeah. uh, it seems real bad. <laughs> like, And he's like, and then he's like, I'm going to throw up. Let me out. Right. It's like, mm. uh, and Karen is there. Um, just watching this yes. happen. And we get a line about it later, but like, yikes. Yeah. Anyway, the guy finally spills, uh, you know, who killed Betsy Pruitt? Al Corbett. Who is Al mm-hmm. Corbett? I guess we'll find out. He works for the older Horvath. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's Martin is the, the suspicious one. Yeah. What this guy knows is that Betsy was having an affair with her boss, Arthur, the younger one, and started blackmailing him. And he doesn't know what about. Martin called in Corbett, who turns out is the older goon, right? The 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 real murdery goon. So he got called in by the older Horvath to take care of Betsy so that her blackmail wouldn't go anywhere. And he says they should be dealing with George by now. They're getting him drunk at the ramp and then killing him too. This is when Karen says it's not the most admissible uh, confession she's ever seen. Yeah. And he goes, I didn't confess to anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I was trying to figure out that bit. I think he didn't realize that there was an officer of the court present or right, anything right. like that. I think he was just thinking, I'm just talking one PI to another sure. or, or what what have you. One PI I attempted to kill to another. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's also, you know, someone who generally is aware of how the law works, right? Like, yeah, you know, you immediately established like that was not a confession. I yeah. yeah. Jim pulls his gun out of the cookie jar and then gives it to uh karen it says to keep him covered <laughs> you can call the cops if he gets salty he'll be here in five minutes or whatever he's tied up she's he's been like hogtied as well i think he says you know how to use one of these and she's like uh point and shoot right <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't know it just it's very cavalier to me the whole the whole thing yeah yeah no i agree um there's a word now kind of in the we need to wrap it up point of this this story does definitely feel a little bit like uh you know everything now let's Mm -hmm. 
let's have a little fun action and let's yeah. uh, let's move on. So we do go back to the bar and then George finally is like, OK, I, I can just have a sip like what harm will do. But then he has a great moment where he's like, no. And he kind of like spills it, putting it back down. And uh, I guess this is the part that surprised me where he like turns to to uh, uh, Bonnie and says, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, it's just I, I've I got a real problem with this and I, I got to face it. And I, I'm not going to face it right here. So I better leave. Yeah, he really has actually been reevaluating his life, reevaluating his choices in this enforced, you know, dry spell. And this is just hooking all the way back to just his physical acting in that first scene where it's like, of all the things that have happened to him while he has been drunk, this seems to be the one where he really is like, I did that. Like, even if he now is like, oh, I didn't actually kill her or whatever. He had the experience of killing yeah. someone while he was drunk. <laughs> like, that experience still happened. He's definitely played as someone who's like, I just got it. I did actually get a second it's a new lease on lease life. Lease on life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, my wife is still by my side. I'm not going to jail, and I'm probably not responsible for someone's death. Like, I need to change, because that is as close as you can get without crossing the line. And, yeah. Yeah. It might be one of the most uh, uh, real-feeling, like, scared straight things that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, like, it feels like a legitimate experience that someone would have. Uh, or... I, or rather, if it, it feels like the magnitude of his response makes sense, yeah, given what happened or what almost happened, as opposed to some kind of more like after school specially kind of thing. I don't know. It's good. Kudos to Mills. Yeah, kudos to Mills. I agree. All right. So then, that's when our other goon shows up, uh, saying that, and he's he's apparently Jim's head operative. So. You know, mm -hmm. Jim has all yes. the operatives now. <laughs> and he has a story about Jim was abducted and the cops can't get to where he's being held. There's a 40 car pile up on the freeway, uh, but they're holding him up at Deckard's point and and in almost the complete opposite of the very real feeling character development of George. George is like, well, I have to do something. I'm going to go save him and just like runs out <laughs> to like drive and save him from unnamed goons somewhere like it's. It is to get us to the end of the story, but right. it does feel a little out of nowhere. It's drunk behavior. <laughs> it's drunk behavior, even though he's not really drunk. Yeah, he's not yeah. drunk. Yeah. Um, but he just, he, he owes Jim so much, he has to help him. Mm -hmm. And so he just leaves by him. That's the other thing, but he leaves by himself. But well, we gotta do something. What? Well, I'll tell you the truth, pal. I got a wife and a couple of kids, you know. Oh, sure. Uh... I'll go myself. No, you stay put. I'll go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to put myself into danger. I have a family, which, okay. Yeah, I have kids. They're 35 and <laughs> 28. And <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so George is like, I'm going to do something. He storms out of the bar. And then Bonnie and, I guess, Corbett are following him and loudly talking to each other. He's in no condition to drive. We should have stopped him. He's going up to Deckard's point. Like, yeah. You know, to establish the situation for all the barflies. Um, he jumps in that yellow car and peels out. The goons are following him and they all leave right before Jim rolls into the parking lot. Gets the story from the bartender, but not after a bribe. <laughs> yep. I very much appreciated. And then he needs to give him another bill for using the phone. Calls Dennis. There's going to be a killing up at Deckard's Point. He's going to stall as long as he can, but he needs to get some, some guys up there right away. 
This is as close as we get to a dentist in the story. Mm. Um, which is not my complaint with the scene. My complaint with the scene is how did this guy get the keys? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe, I mean, it's just left on unstated. Maybe she had him drive like that classic. Yeah. That Jim's done be. that before. That's, you drive. Yeah. That happens a lot in the Rockford files. So cars are just available for anyone right. to use it. That's the thing about the car, uh, Rockford files universe <laughs> is that. I did not note the seatbelt wearing in this one. I'm off my game. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would assume he had one on when the brakes, when he did that little brake trick when uh, when he escaped. I don't think he did because he runs out of the door immediately. Yeah. I have to review the tape. Um, All right. We have our scene of car action. Everyone's following everyone. Uh, There's a Mm -hmm. point of dialogue of there's a bomb in George's glove compartment. Uh, like in that car's glove compartment. So once he goes over the, the cliff, he'll just be another drunk in the canyon. Oh, was it? I thought there was, I thought that line was that there was a bottle in the glove compartment. Oh, that makes more sense. I was like, are they also going to yeah. explode the thing? Yeah. Okay. That makes much more sense. Yeah. I think that's what, and I think she actually pulls that bottle out. That's uh, where it comes from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I miss, I miss that. So they tailgate him and run him and kind of like run him off the road right at this Deckard's point, like mm-hmm. overhang. Um, and he ends up balanced on the edge of the, the cliff. Yes. Really cliff hanging, as we say. Mm, delicious. And we say we see he has a little blood on his forehead, like he's been banged up from, from the impact. And yeah, she runs over there and yeah, starts dousing him with this bottle of bourbon, which I thought she just had with her, like she's carried <laughs> with her. That makes much more sense than yeah. he's already in the car. But before they can, uh, you know, push him off or anything, Jim finally catches up with them. Uh, they're peeling out like they're just going to let it fall over eventually, I guess. They're turning to, to to get out of there. Jim comes up behind them and bumps their rear panel so that they spin out. I think they were uh, they were setting up to ram him off the edge of the cliff. Okay. And Jim hit their on the rear panel just before they managed to do that. Mm hmm. That was my read of the action that was happening there, but I'm not entirely sure. I did watch this a couple of days ago because I wasn't going to have time yesterday. So I will go mm-hmm. with your read because it makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> let me let me give my matchbox cars and I'll show you how this works. No. <laughs> That's a YouTube channel. When we're done with this, we'll do the Rockford Files chases via mm-hmm. matchbox cars. Stop motion. So, yeah. So they kind of fishtail not driving him off the cliff and then mm-hmm. they head back down the highway and then there's black and whites coming up with their sirens on and they block the way and so they're yeah you know presumably captured jim pulls another you uh kind of spinning out again to get back to uh george's car as fast as he can to help him get him out before it goes over the cliff justice presumably is served as we go to the trailer for our final scene with George, Fran, Jim, and Karen having coffee, possibly tea, uh, and kind of telling the rest of the story um, to us Mm -hmm. in their dialogue. It turns out that Betsy was blackmailing her boss because he was handling legal work for a ring of professional thieves. Sure. uh, Called in Corbett for some preventative homicide, and things Mm -hmm. went from there. Uh, the Bassets stand to leave and George says, so about your fee, <laughs> Jim, Jim's like, don't worry, I'll get it from you. But after you get your lives back together, um, and we have some dialogue about how George is, he's staying sober. He's taking it seriously one day at a time. 
that's what they say in the mm-hmm. meetings and uh yeah great i'm again i am i'm slightly surprised and pleased to see a what what seems like a a uh character growth yeah a, a transcending addiction story that's kind of low-key makes sense with what we've seen of the character yeah the door sticks on the way out um it still isn't fixed really yes. after uh iraqi did his his business to it there's still bullet holes in the frame and then we get to so much more um again this scene is like a long lingering scene of just jim talking to people <laughs> yes yes we get like everything that's happened the explanation for all of it the the rap on uh george and family and then okay what what else do we have left hanging here we got to mention the the door thing for the you know we got to get yeah. that third beat in for the door, and then oh right we set up a possible romance between um, mm-hmm. Karen and Jim so let's watch that play out but let's do that uh, with a big elaborate joke right. which I love. <laughs> uh, they start talking about juries. Um, Karen's yeah. talking about how she deals with them all the time, obviously, and most are vacant in the courtroom. It's like they're not, they want to be somewhere else. They're not really paying attention. It's a rare thing to meet someone who takes it so seriously. Somewhere in here, Jim lights a cigarette. This is important later. Yes. He says it's only a few weeks out of your life and people's lives are decided in those courtrooms. So pay attention to that, Epi. Take that with you going forward. Yeah, I will put that right up there in the kidneys. <laughs> um, the, the the brain kidneys, the head kidneys. Yeah, the old head kidneys. <laughs> uh, would you believe how some people try to weasel out of it? Yeah. And then this is when Jim asks Karen out for dinner uh, and then proposes maybe going to a football game. He has tickets for this weekend. Turns out that she doesn't like football, but it might be fun. Yeah. That's when Rocky appears. <laughs> he bought smoke detectors at the hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> The packaging. They're little houses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're little houses. Oh, it's great. It's great. And at first I was like, wow, those are enormous. And then I was like, oh, wait, that must just be the box. And as we will learn, that is just the box. Um, Jim is protesting. Uh, The place is too small. He'll cook bacon over there and it'll go off over here. Jim, you should still have a smoke detector in your house. Come on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Rocky then turns to Karen. Did Jim ever tell you how he almost didn't sit on that jury? (laughs) Oh, do go on. So Jim's trying to wave Rocky off, but Rocky is just taking so much glee in, in telling this part of the story. Jim here, he, he tried to get a note from his doctor saying it would be bad for his back sitting in a jury box. <laughs> An old war injury. Oh, I do have a bad back from Korea. I mean, there's nothing strange about that. Oh, how terribly awful for you. Of course, when he did find out that he was going to have to sit in the jury anyway, you should have been here to hear the yelling. He was stomping around and kicking the bureau and everything. (laughs) Tim keeps trying to wave him off. Rocky's on a roll. He finds like, hey, we should go ahead and get going to that restaurant. They get really busy and we don't have a reservation. And Karen says, I wouldn't want you to suffer sitting in a booth with that bad (laughs) back. And Rocky's just... Just roasting him. Just relentlessly roasting him. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, what really turned Jim around was when I explained to him how his very own ancestors fought and struggled for others to have the right to vote. Why, do you know that Josiah Rockford... And so Jim slowly opens one of the little house packages and pulls the smoke alarm out and considers it while he's smoking his cigarette. (laughs) 
<laughs> Finally, he takes a beat and then he just blows his smoke directly into the, the alarm. The smoke alarm beep goes off and we have the freeze frame end of episode with the beeping alarm as we <laughs> finish finish our show. Uh, it's good. It's a good ending. Um, I, I really I enjoyed the episode. I mean, I know like there's a few times while we were talking about it, I was like, mm, this didn't hold together or that doesn't. But that was just more of a uh, quibbles. Yeah. Well, this is like a Rockford Files fan episode almost like sure. There's a mystery right. and like a plot or whatever, but who cares? We, we, we're we watching Rocky do Rocky things and Jim do Jim things in response to Rocky. And then Jim yeah. gets to Jim gets to be horny. And it's weird because mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't really have a lot of context for it he's just kind of hitting on the women that come into his his sight line yeah and then he gets shot down so like that's fine like that makes sense uh given what we see in the episode but it's also kind of out of left field that that's what this episode has in it and we get a nice little redemption story for a guy who maybe deserves it we don't know um (laughs) yeah he seems nice enough in the end um Jim gets to do some detective things. We have a fun con versus con thing, but none of it seems very serious, even though there's a murder. Right. Like it's really for something that's all over the place. It's a fun episode. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, but it's kind of a mess. I, I mean, I think it's okay. So our job obviously is to examine things <laughs> and to kind of tease them apart and mm-hmm. kind of get some ideas out of it or whatever. I don't even know what our job is anymore. <laughs> And this seems like a bad thing to say about that, but this this is not this is not an episode for a podcast. <laughs> it's you know like it, uh-huh. it's just it's fun it's fun. Um, but uh, yeah, God, I don't want to I don't want to like end it on some some weird sour note about it not being up to any kind of grade or anything like that. But I think you're right. It's also fifth fifth season Rockford Files, right? Right, uh, and. Probably like there's no aside from Rocky, there's no reoccurring cast that um it's a bit of a filler episode, I think kind I of. think that's probably what was happening is that they were I don't want to say paint by numbers because it wasn't necessarily formulaic or anything any more so than you know right, whatever right, right. well, I think if, if anything, it kind of stands out because it's less formulaic narratively, yeah. and it's more kind of like, ah, oh, just have fun with it exactly, yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah. I'm a little surprised that Angel isn't in it because thematically that really would have worked. But it's probably an episode where they only had so much money and some episodes they can only have so many of the cast because, you know, they have to pay them however much for their appearance. They had to take the doors off the hinges. That costs money. Put them back on. Mm -hmm. Poorly. Yeah. 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 It's it's a bit of a curiosity to me, I guess, just because there are Mm -hmm. these moments that are like, full 100% Rockfordishness, but they just kind of float yes. float free of the story and could really be in any episode like the like where he's like going through the car and getting really excited about the reconstruction like yeah oh it's good that could be for anything it doesn't really matter the fact that he's doing it is what is cool and fun fun to watch all the stuff with Rocky the like setting himself up as this kind of like ethical citizen and then just getting totally just completely demolished (laughs) by Rocky and having his kind of date prospects just ripped away is great. You kind of feel like Rocky's getting back at him for like 
not being on board with his handyman help earlier in the episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the season itself, trying to figure out where it sits. It's the latter half of the season. And yeah. right after this one is the man who saw the alligators, which is, you know. Yeah. Oh, one of the magnificent. Greats. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. That's weird. We're calling that one of the greats, but the um, IMDb rating gives it a slightly lower rating than this current than the deuce. I think our I mean, I don't remember if we talked to we probably talked about it in that episode. But like, I think our appreciation of that episode is very specific to our what we like us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. uh. It's interesting. So it comes after guilt, which I didn't care for mainly because it was too felt too real. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's a perfectly fine episode. So it really kind of ramps up to the man who saw the alligators. Yeah, it's wild. It's a wild spot. It's a wild season. Is yeah, the season's pretty pretty sweet. Um, I forgot to bring it up after we said we would, but the deuce, the title. Oh yes, tell me. And people who know more about I don't know cop stuff probably might might have been yelling at their their phones as we say but according to uh the ed robertson book a deuce refers to a person arrested for a dui ah all right so this episode is you know thus about one of those deuces yes well okay then uh, the title makes sense to me now not that interesting just but but is an explanation (laughs) i'm glad we saved it for the end All right. Well, yeah, I uh, I don't know. This is this is a, a weird one because I'm like, I would talk about this episode with anyone who wants to. But I don't know if I would right. like really recommend anyone to watch it over any other episode of The Rocker Files. Yeah, yeah. Except maybe for Mills. If Watson, for some reason. Yeah, Mills. Mills is great. And if for some reason you've you've set the task before you that you have to watch all of The Rockford Files hmm. in some random order, uh, fit this one in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe some somewhere after the halfway point of your show. Uh, well, I don't know about you, but I do have some crooked doors that I need to make sure are rehung uh, before getting out of this apartment. Um, that is not true. I, I don't have to do that, but I literally do have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I just remembered we used to say and then I completely forgot we did, which was we've earned our two hundred dollars for this day. Remember we used to say that? Oh, yes, I believe we have. Well, I mean, Jim hasn't made money in so long. Like, he didn't make any money in this one. I used to keep track of it, and I gave up. <laughs> He'll get it from uh, from George eventually, once his life gets back together. Yeah, that seems like a good bet. Mm-hmm. All right, well, all that said, don't drink and drive. want to make sure that we're clear on clear about that part of, our, of the message yes. of the episode. But, you know, if... Uh, if if your trailer has some some awkwardly hanging doors, maybe have LJ come fix them instead of instead of Rocky. <laughs> yes. I think that's the other the other takeaway. Yes. I guess that's pretty much what I have to say about this one. Anything else, Epi? Um don't drink and dive. Wear a seatbelt. Maybe, you know, responsibly install f- No, nah, it's fine. We're good. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then uh I guess we will see you next time when we talk about another episode of the Rockford Files. Boing boing, 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 boing boing